You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 7, Episode 2. Carissa, how's it going? It's a new year. It's 2022. Um, so I don't, I feel like it's too new to have an assessment of how things are going. You know, it's like a clean slate, but also, you know, there was 2020 and then there was 2020.1 or two or however they name those kind of things. Right. It was not great. So yeah. Tentative, skeptical, a little bit cynical. That's how it's going. How about you? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can. I can relate to all or most of those on any given day. So, yeah, I'm I'm down with that. That's uh but on the bright side, at least we're not alone in our skepticism and misery. That's true because I kind of get like bored of listening to your skepticism and uh cynicism and misery all the time. So we we've been bringing in some more people so we can drag in more people into this this circus. Yeah. Uh, we have a guest that may be familiar to some of you if you've been listening to us for a while. She has joined us before on multiple occasions. Uh, Reverend Rebecca DePoe, would you care to reintroduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, I would love to. Uh, as Pastor Carissa said, I am Pastor Rebecca DePoe. I am currently serving as the Associate Pastor at Fox Chapel Presbyterian Church. Um, oh, I'm also. Um, in the process of becoming the moderator of our presbytery. That's also happening. Um, Yeah, that's me. So speaking of like learning and changing and epiphanies, uh, the last time you were with us, you were not the associate minister at Fox Chapel Presbyterian Church. Can you tell us a little bit? (laughs) I was not. Yeah. So um, this was both a God thing and a like, circumstances happened in the way that they did kind of thing. Um, So yeah, the last time I was on this podcast, I was pastoring two kind of smaller churches in Pittsburgh. Um, And COVID was challenging in that context. Um, It was challenging. It's it's challenging to be in any kind of leadership position. Uh, It was particularly challenging to lead two different uh, congregations and um, an opportunity came up in our presbytery to do some intentional transitional work in a larger system. Um, so, so yeah, I've been at Fox Chapel for about three months, just wrapped up my first Christmas season with them. Um, and it was really wonderful and uh, also very stressful with uh, this new variant that is running rampant in our country. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to be there. I'm happy to be learning new things and I'm excited to see what 2022 has in store for me. That, that excitement is something I hear from so very few of my colleagues in ministry. Well, so unlike you two, I tend to try to be as optimistic as I can because the alternative is uh, not getting out of bed in the morning. So, so yeah, I try to look for ways that uh, the holy is breaking in through the mundane because it 
helps me get through an otherwise ordinary Tuesday. Yeah. And I think sometimes like the newness of a new situation or a new season that God has put you into can really help with that in a lot of ways. You know, I've um, been as anyone who listens to us regularly knows I've been going through similar things and um, you learn so much so quickly and see so many new things that it's kind of hard not to have that slightly optimistic view of things when you're still in the new and shiny. Right. And the other good thing about the new and shiny is your people don't yet know that you have no idea what you're doing. So like (laughs) you get, get away with a lot in the new and shiny um, that you don't necessarily get away with once people realize, you know, maybe, maybe she doesn't know how to fix the boiler. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate. Do you remember the time you called me, Alan, when there was a bat in your Sunday school room? (laughs) I was like, I don't know how I can help you with this. (laughs) I don't know if I called you. I mean, I remember putting that on Facebook. It was a call or a text or something. And I was like, I I can't help you, buddy. (laughs) That that one was so actually easy to solve. (laughs) I wish I wish I had another situation that easy and clear cut. Oh my god, that's what 2020 and 2021 have done to your pastors, friends, is that we are missing yeah. the days of broken boilers and bats in the Sunday school rooms. Yeah, I feel like 2020 was like a bat in the sanctuary. 2021 was like a tornado went through our tiny town and we don't even have a sanctuary to have a bat in. Um, I'm 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 gonna make it a little bit more realistic and say that 2021 was like you have uh, stained glass windows that have upper vents and there was one that was open that didn't close and not only bats but pigeons got in and they shit all over everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not not that I'm speaking from experience or anything. <laughs> Gonna have to make sure that the windows are closed the next time at the church. Yes. <laughs> so we had like a lovely Fox Chapel problem. Speaking of windows, um, so I am in a wealthy suburban uh, church that I believe in the 1990s uh, they sealed the windows shut because they put air conditioning in there and they didn't want the air escaping. Well, with 2021 and COVID, we wanted to be able to have more air circulation. So they paid an outrageous amount of money to get them unstuck so we could open them (laughs) for our Christmas Eve services and other services. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Things have gotten really weird and unexpected over the past few years. Who could have seen the need to open those windows again? Not the session of the 1990s, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Probably not even the session of 2015 or no. 2018. Mm-mm. Or any part of 2019 pre like November or December. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so what was what was your Christmas Eve experience like at Fox Chapel? What what kind of turnout did you have? Yeah. So I'm in a church that is really COVID cautious. Um, so my head pastor and I were um we had spent a lot of time thinking about how to keep people safe in the church. So one of the things that we did um, was they have a 4.30 like children's pageant service. Um, and we asked everybody who was not vaccinated to worship online and told everybody coming, like, don't expect that you can socially distance. Uh, we don't know the vaccination status of everyone there. Um 
So I actually did not go to the children's service in a way to kind of keep the numbers lower. Um, but I heard that service went well and it was super fun to see the kids dressed up as uh, Mary, Joseph and the wise men. Um, we actually had to cancel our 630 service because um, our 630 service was, I'm sorry, our six o'clock service was supposed to be a contemporary service, but our band leader had COVID. <laughs> um so, and everyone was like, why can't you just like hire another guitar player? And I said, so we don't need another guitar player. We need somebody who can pick the music and lead a band that was just potentially exposed to COVID <laughs> through the band leader. So we ended up having to cancel that service. But our 7.30 and 10 o'clock services were our kind of candlelight traditional Christmas Eve services. And those were really lovely. Um, there's just something so rejuvenating for me, I think, about like singing Silent Night in the congregation, watching kind of everybody participate in this tradition. Um, so so that was really great. Uh, we did not wrap up with the 10 o'clock service until like 1130-ish. I got home around midnight, which for those of you who know me, that is <laughs> several hours past even a late <laughs> bedtime for me. So so that was that was interesting. But how about you guys? What did Christmas Eve look like for you? So we we did our traditional service. Um, we we had a shortened music program pre-worship, and uh, our our music program started at eight thirty and worship at nine, which is the the compromise time that we came up with when <laughs> I started here three years ago, and uh, it was good. I think people. Some people were hesitant to come out. Other people were traveling. We had 82 in attendance, um, where 2019 pre-COVID, we had 160, 170. So, um, you know, I think all things considered, it was a great turnout. Um, I think among our congregation, we have a high vaccination rate. And so I think it was safer, uh, but we did sing. So, you know, th there's, there's no risk-free environment other than staying at home. And I think there that would have caused, uh, that would have caused more harmful ripples than, uh, than being together, uh, assuming, that nobody gets sick as a result. So, uh, but it was good. What, what were Rebecca, what were your numbers like compared to historical averages? And, re and I realize you've never been there, but yeah. Uh, well, so before. the other thing that is really tricky about that question is we have a really wonderful live stream capability at Fox chapel. And I mean, I would say about half of our people are worshiping online. Um, half, as in members and half as in like digital nomads that found us during COVID, but now consider themselves kind of a part of our community. Um, so I, I don't really have a great answer for that. We've put a lot of time and attention and, and creativity and thought into the live stream, um, which I'm grateful for, but I also very much feel like I am like now a movie star because like <laughs> I am <laughs> being, put on the internet twice a week, every week. Um, so, so yeah, I'm not entirely sure what our numbers are. 
But but you're ready for your close up, Mr. DeMille. So this is a little bit of a tangent, but um one of the things that I think has been a little bit stressful for clergy is like we definitely did not go to seminary thinking that we were going to be on TV. So no. right. So like for example, we live stream the contemporary service and the traditional service. Well, this doesn't matter so much for men, but a woman cannot wear the same thing to a contemporary service that she would for a tra- traditional service, even if I'm throwing a robe over what I wore to the contemporary service. Men can get away with like taking their tie off and taking their sports coat off. Um, so like one of the things I've been thinking through over the last couple of months is like, how does what I wear convey welcome <laughs> to people who are expecting a little bit more of a casual experience? Now, so the other thing about Sunday, I have one service at 8.15 that is traditional. The contemporary service is at 9.30 and the uh, traditional service is at 11. So I very much feel like an actor kind of performing in worship as much as I feel like a pastor and theologian leading people through worship. So yeah, yeah it's a whole new world. I think those those differences in the ways that we are worshiping and the ways we're doing things um, have really taught all of us a lot about who we are as clergy, who we are as pastors and worship leaders. And I feel like seasons like Advent and Christmas and Lent, which will be coming up in a couple months here, what is it, like six or eight weeks from now? I think Epiphany is six weeks long. It, it's it's a while. It's Lent and Easter are really late this year. Yeah, they're pretty late. Um, but I feel like those, you know, in the same way that those markers in the church year generally give us a rhythm to our liturgies and ways of being, I think they've given us these markers to see how far we've come and what has changed throughout the pandemic too you know the first easter was very different than last year's easter which is going to be different than this year's easter because a lot more of us are vaccinated and a lot more people just don't give a shit anymore and um you know so things are just um changing in those ways and you know that's our main main question right now as we told you before uh, before going on air, Rebecca, is is what have you learned? What do you think are some of the big epiphanies that you have had, things that God has taught you throughout this past, especially this past year? Um, but or, or little epiphanies, if, if yeah. those are easier to relate. Yeah. So um, this week, actually, I am preaching, which as an associate pastor, I don't preach every week. Um, so I've been thinking a lot because this coming Sunday is Epiphany, I've been thinking about epiphanies and, you know, kind of what I've learned. And um, so every year I cut out uh, stars with words on them and I hand them out to the congregation and I call them star words. And inevitably people accuse me of like rigging the system and like personally handing them a word that um, it directly speaks to them, even though it's completely done at random. Well, last year, I actually received my star word in the mail because I had COVID (laughs) um, between Christmas and New Year's. And um, I remember getting my star word in the mail and opening it, and it was freedom. So my word for 2021 was freedom. Um, And I remember laughing because when you have COVID, you can't do anything. Literally, all you're doing is taking extra strength Tylenol every four hours. 
So I was like, this word clearly isn't for me. So then a couple days later, I remember it was epiphany. And I remember I was just like very tired that day. So I um, had taken like two or three naps. And I woke up from a nap in the afternoon to like all these breaking news updates on my phone about a riot taking place in the Capitol. (laughs) And I was like, I I remember actually checking my temperature to see if my temperature had spiked and I was having one of those uh, fever hallucinations that you can get when your fever gets really high. But my fever was normal. (laughs) So this was actually happening. And I remember watching it happen. And I remember different uh, justifications for it in terms of like, if we don't do this, our freedoms as Americans are in jeopardy, which ended up being nonsense. I do not support this or anything. I just remember that was some of the language that was being thrown around. So a couple weeks later, when I was feeling better and kind of thinking about my star word, I was thinking about like, well, what does freedom actually mean? And I remember like looking it up and it was saying things like, you know, freedom is um, the uh, power to do what you want to do in a given situation. And I was like, huh, that's very vague. I wonder if I laid this definition alongside scripture, like what that would look like. And I think I just Googled, um, (laughs) I think I just Googled like freedom in scripture, which maybe don't do that. That was not a great thing to do, but it did lead me to Galatians uh, and Paul's kind of meditations on freedom. And I'm paraphrasing this badly, but Paul basically says like, we are free so that we can love our neighbors. And this freedom that we have is tempered by concern and care for those around us. So I remember kind of going into the spring and summer as I was discerning a new call and figuring out like what this new community would look like. Like my current church context is very COVID cautious. Like we are masked always when we're in the building, we're not eating together, we're not singing unmasked, we're not even really ever within six feet of one another. And like, sometimes that gets annoying. Like I am constantly breaking out because I have the mask on all the time. Um, You know, I was sick with all of my COVID shots, you should get them. But like, it was 24 hours of being miserable. Um, And I remember, like, as I was going through those things, thinking like, okay, like, this is uncomfortable, this is unpleasant, but like you are doing this for the sake of the other people in this congregation who, you know, if they get COVID, it's more than just being really sick for two weeks. Um, So yeah, I think my kind of big epiphany over the last year was this sense that like freedom is the power to be able to love your neighbors well Um, and, and thinking about what that looks like for me and for my church. Yeah, I, I think when you feel less than free as a pastor, it constrains your ability to love your congregation. Um, if you are struggling to make ends meet because the salary is too low, the temptation to be resentful of your congregation is enormous. And it's hard to move into that place of godly, unconditional love for your congregation. And that's just one example. Um, If your congregation seems to have no regard for safety and for masking and social distancing and 
you know, not only do they do they want to worship in person every Sunday without masks, with singing, with the passing of the peace, and uh, and and let's let's hug and kiss <laughs> to share that peace. You know, that's that's a little less than free. And uh, the flip side is it's really hard to feel the love if we are only worshiping remotely and finding that balance point between safety and um, intimacy, uh, emotional intimacy is a real challenge. And that is the thing that for me can't be replicated online. We can do the intellectual parts of worship online but the uh, the exchange of love and the ministry of presence just don't carry through for me online. <clears throat> I think online is a really great option if you have COVID, if you've been exposed to COVID, if you are worried that a potential COVID exposure could land you in the hospital. Um, but I think you're right, Alan. Like, I don't, I don't think online worship is like the solution to what all of the problems plaguing America right now, church, American churches right now. Um, I do think that for COVID cautious congregations, it gives them a some sense of community. Otherwise, they would be isolated. So, agreed. It's it's a bandage. In, in the same way that you put a bandage on an open wound so that it does not get further infected, so that it doesn't get infected and can heal properly. Yes. Um, it can be that bandage for those who need it. And, uh, and even if you are just hyper vigilant, you can't get into the space where you have the emotional sharing in person. If you are so nervous about the possibility of getting the disease. And, and so I, I, I absolutely respect those who say, okay, now is not yet the time to return. Um, but it's, it's just so challenging to feel, to get the feel of church when we have half the people or less in worship that we would normally expect. Um, it's a tool, right? Online worship is a tool for our tool belt, just like anything else. Um, just like vacation Bible school of the 1980s was a tool. Um, that is, I'm going to potentially anger some people, mm -hmm. but a largely ineffective tool today. Um, I have Oof. strong feelings about vacation Bible school and its efficacy and place and very few congregations can pull it off anymore, but that's, another <laughs> rant for another episode, but it's a tool that is helping us get through this season and has had some benefits. People who are disconnected because they moved away or they're homebound members, some elderly folks um, have managed to get YouTube on their TV, right? That it's really helpful to have that. And, you know, and obviously with all the COVID stuff, but it, it, there's this realization so many people have had about the power of physical community with one another. And I think that that's kind of um, getting to what? things, but also the danger of physical community. 
right now, physical community is both powerful in a positive way, but it, it is also a potentially dangerous thing. What one might say that it is a double epiphany. Mm. But yeah. I'm wondering how long we were going to get before we got a bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was waiting for Carissa to finish her thought, but uh, but I do want to move back to the concept of epiphany and. Uh, Rebecca, what other epiphanies have you had in this uh, in these last several months? Um, okay, I think the next one is a medium-sized one, and then I'll share my like stupid, superficial one at the end. Um, so my medium-sized epiphany is um, it's actually really great working on a team of people instead yes. of uh, kind of being your own lone agent in the a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Um, so as I mentioned, I went from being a solo pastor to being an associate pastor. So I ha- there is another pastor on staff uh, and we kind of split a lot of the um, pastoral care responsibilities, some administrative responsibilities, and we both kind of uh, figure out what makes the most sense in terms of worship leadership and go from there. Um, and so I've never really worked with another pastor before. And my first couple months on the job was a lot of like, oh my gosh, uh, his name is Roger. Roger said he was going to do it and he did it. And I don't have to redo it behind him because he did it well. And like that, there was like a lot of unlearning (laughs) that I had to kind of learn from. The other part of it was just like being able to watch another person do something that may be better than you did or how you hadn't considered it. So for example, Roger has what I considered a dumb rule that he doesn't check email until one o'clock. And I asked him, I was like, why do you do that? And he was like, I'm not wasting the precious hours of the morning when I'm awake and energetic and I could be sermon writing (laughs) on emails. Wow. So yeah, and he I really appreciate this about him. He gets there at eight and he does like all of his important work of the day by lunchtime. At lunchtime he goes home, he takes a walk, he comes back at one, and then at from like one until when he leaves, he deals with the administrative stuff. Like it just had never occurred to me that you could wait until one o'clock to answer an email. Wow. Um, okay. Well, that was an epiphany for me right now. Um, I really love that a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I will, I will wholeheartedly second you on the, the beauty of working in a team. And this is something that I have wrestled with this year too, as, as you both know, but our listeners may not as well know. Um, we, we have to have to stop abandoning our pastors in lonely places. Even in a presbytery as large as as Pittsburgh with so many churches, we're just abandoning pastors to be on their own. And it's so unhealthy and it is so inappropriate. And I know, Alan, you're, you know, meeting with some of your colleagues in your presbytery to talk about ways that that might be able to be alleviated, even in, you know, if you've got several congregations near each other, how can pastors work together to best use their own strengths and talents and have someone there to support them for things they're not quite as, as solid on or as gifted toward? And, um, you know, that's just, it's a healthier model for pastors who we are all burnt out. Every one of us. And, and if you listen to last season, every one of us is just 
tired, so tired and we need each other. So, um, I, I'm, that maybe have been a medium sized epiphany, but it's such an important one. It is. What's the little one? Oh, my little one is, is I'm going to be getting manicures from now on. This like tiny little thing has brought so much joy into my day and life. I went, I got a gift card for Christmas to get a manicure and I never get them. And I was like dreading it because in my mind, a manicure means acrylic nails, which are just the worst. They're so bad. You can't do anything with acrylic nails. And I go there and the esthetician, I think is the right word, is like, what makes, why do you think you have to get acrylic nails? I can just paint your own nails. (laughs) And like all day today, I've been feeling very fancy. I haven't left my house. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, my little epiphany is we should take time to do the little things that bring us joy. Yes, absolutely. I wholeheartedly Okay, I can relate to that last part. (laughs) Not the manicures, maybe. You, maybe you. Not the manicures. Maybe you should, next time you're in town, we're going to go get manicures together. Alan, I think you would very much enjoy getting a manicure. Unless there's scotch with that manicure. I was just (laughs) about to offer to bring the scotch to the manicure and and we will record a live podcast (laughs) while we are drinking scotch and getting manicures. I mean, well, so, and the reason I bring that up as an epiphany, right, is like in the face of clergy burnout, if I have to read another article that says you need to take time for self-care, I'm going to scream. So it's not necessarily like self-care it's figuring out what brings you joy and protecting yes. the time it takes to do that wait you bother reading those articles Alan? i also read every email that my gym sends out so <laughs> i think i'm <laughs> yeah. one of two people that does that yeah i don't even do that yeah um yeah so what are some of the idols then and <laughs> and we're bumping up on on our our time here before people start checking out so um, just in like a nutshell, what are some of the idols that these epiphanies brought to light then that maybe you are trying to avoid yourself? Um, I'm kind of into this as we're talking about epiphany self-reflection. Like what are my idols I need to ditch rather than blaming other people for their idolatry? So, yeah, I think one idol I definitely need to let go of is like that I can do everything myself. Um, and that I can do it better. And if people would just listen to me, things would be great. Um, even another, like Roger doesn't check his email from like Saturday at five o'clock until Sunday at five o'clock. And somehow the worship service still happens, even though people are like, we're out of communion elements. Mind blowing. So. Yeah, I, I. I think, I, I mean, I would like to think that uh, you can sort of train the congregation by not reflecting their anxiety and not responding to the emails. And personally, I am highly unlikely to respond to an email on Saturday unless unless it's something that I solicited. Um, but Yeah. I, I, I do actually know someone who, uh, as a pastor, was unable to tune out the odd hours emails and the uh, 
the Saturday emails and uh, that pastor burned out in the space of a year, year and a half and left an installed position. So yeah, (laughs) Uh, healthy boundaries. Great thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you guys have talked to death about, I'm sure you've talked about the Enneagram on this podcast. Surprisingly little, because my colleague here is not as into it as you and I are, but feel free. No. I don't believe in astrology, Annette. So anyway, stupid. we're just going to ignore not, you for a second. We're going to I can't mute him on. I think I can mute him on my end if we have to, actually. Okay. No, I was just going to say, so my boss is a very different number on the Enneagram than I am. And it's just been fascinating for me to be like, oh, different people respond to the same situation in very different ways. Um, and, and, and because we're so di- like, we agree on how on our end goals for things, but how we get there is so very different. And like, I'm just learning that like, Oh, like things can be left open-ended. So anyway, yeah, he's a five on the Enneagram. If that means anything to anyone. And Rebecca is a nine. I am a nine. I know this because we talk about our friendship in terms of our numbers very frequently. I'm a seven. She's a nine. She holds the leash. I I remind her we need to go for a walk sometimes. I do. (laughs) Yes. And Alan says we're only going on walks if if there's photo documentation of it. (laughs) What is the purpose of this walk? What am I going to get out of it? (laughs) Yep. Is there scotch at the end of the walk? Somewhere over Alan gets really mad when we tell him what Enneagram number he is. You know, he doesn't no, like I him. don't. I just laugh <laughs> sardonically. If Myers-Briggs is astronomy for people with master's degrees, so too is the Enneagram. I... Anyway, I have arguments against what you just said, but we're going way off the rails because we're talking about epiphanies today. Yes. So I think in summary... Um, Community is really good. Freedom is about community, not individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. You need to be on a team. You need to have others. And you need to take care of yourself. Um, And don't take yourself so seriously or so importantly that you can't have good boundaries. Because self-importance is a heck of a hard idol to overcome. Does that sound like a good sum? Did I hear what your intention was, Rebecca, Alan, did I hear what you heard? Uh, Yeah, I'm down with all of that because of course, um, smashing the idol of self-worship can often involve self-destruction. And um, yeah, the, the, uh, (laughs) uh, the spectacular flame out is just never a good thing. No, it's not a pretty look on anyone. No. Again, it's just interesting that you say that because my personality type is like, I'm never going to go out in a blaze of glory. I'm going to like drown in a shallow pool. So like, I I understand what you're saying, like in theory, (laughs) but yeah, I'm like, that's, that's a lot of work. Yeah. I am a go big or go home type. Mm -mm. Um, Consequences be damned. Go big or go home. So uh, Rebecca, could we ask you to offer a word of prayer before we sign off? I would love to. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have brought us to this new year, this uh, new start, this chance to learn some new epiphanies. 
We pray that you would be with us as we are thinking about what this new year has in store for us as pastors, as leaders, as human beings navigating a global pandemic. We pray that you would send your spirit to help us be gentle with one another, to remind us that no one is doing great right now, and to lean on you to offer the grace that everybody needs. We offer all of these things in Jesus's precious name. Amen. 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 Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.